Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Brings up a great question, kind of laugh about it. What exactly is a spiritual gift? Do you know what your spiritual gift is if you even have one? Is it the role of the pastor to do everything in the life of the church? What's your responsibility to serve, to volunteer, to use your gifts in ministry here at Emmanuel? We're going to take a short break from the Gospel of John over the next three weeks to address the issue of spiritual gifts, of ministry. What does the Bible have to say about this very important topic? Uh, We've discussed this as elders, as leaders, and we believe that in the life of our church right now, this is something that needs to be addressed biblically. We need to understand the authority of the Word on this issue. Um, Over the past year or so, we have noticed as leaders in Emmanuel a trend. And this is a trend that's common in a lot of churches, so it's not just Emmanuel. I think a lot of churches have this trend, this, this issue, and that is that a small handful of people, maybe around 15 to 20%, end up doing about 80 to 90% of the ministry of the work in the church. And so there's an imbalance in people getting involved, serving, using their gifts, being involved in ministry. And so we see this as leaders as somewhat of a concerning trend. And so we want to address that, and the way that we always address things in Emmanuel is we go back to the authority of God's Word and say, what does God's Word say about this particular issue? And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, and Paul gives some very detailed teaching here about spiritual gifts, about the maturity of the church, about how we are to function in serving the Lord through our gifts and and talents and how God has gifted us. So let's read together Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. This is the Apostle Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, just for today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3, although we're going to be in this passage of Scripture over the next three weeks. And here's the main thrust, the big idea of verses 1 through 3. Followers of Christ display a lifestyle of worship by using our spiritual gifts to serve one another. What I want you to see this morning, I'm telling you where I'm going, I'm telegraphing the past, okay? You worship God by using your spiritual gifts. You may have never thought of that before. It is actually an act of worship, a lifestyle of worship, when you use your spiritual gifts. And so this morning, we're just going to look at the importance of worship and how that's tied to spiritual gifts. Next week, we're going to look at what are the spiritual gifts, why is it important, how do they function within the life of the church, and then the third week, we're going to talk about, okay, let's look specifically at certain gifts, and let's talk about maybe what gift you have or how God has gifted you and how you can use that in the body of Christ. But I need to set up the passage of Scripture because we're coming into the book of Romans halfway through. Okay, if, if you've noticed, there's 11 chapters before chapter 12. And we don't have time to preach 1 through 11, okay? That'd be a long time. But how does Paul start? He starts with a therefore. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So what Paul is doing here is he's shifting gears in the book of Romans. Chapters 1 through 11, Paul has been laying this case about the gospel. He starts out in chapters 1 through 3 and talks about sin. Then he gets to chapter, halfway through chapter 3 and he talks about the cross. Chapter 4 and 5, he talks about how we've been justified by faith. Chapter 6, he talks about the new life in Christ. Chapter 7, he talks about the struggle we have living the life in Christ because of our battling flesh. Chapter 8, he ends with this crescendo of how we've been justified, we've been saved. God has, has glorif- is going to glorify us and we have all these blessings. And then 9, 10, 11, he talks about how the Jews are unfolded into God's plan with the Gentiles and how that all works. And so chapters 1 through 11 are the mercies of God. And then in chapter 12, he says, Therefore, I appeal to you. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Everything that I've just shared with you in chapters 1 through 11, all that God has done, how God has saved you, how God has justified you, how God has adopted you, how God has given you new life, how God has called you. All of these glorious mercies, all of this glorious grace that God has given you, in light of all that, in light of all that God's done for you, now, therefore, live it out. And how do you live it out? You live it out in a lifestyle of worship. Notice that Paul doesn't start with obedience. He doesn't say, hey, church, you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing, so get busy. Now, I could have started the sermon that way. I could have come up here and said, we've got a crisis in Emmanuel, and you aren't using your spiritual gifts, so get busy. Just do it. And what would you do? You'd be like, ah, thanks, Pastor Sean. That's not what Paul does. Paul says, listen, God has so graced you in the gospel 
And that, in turn, becomes the motivation, that becomes the power, that becomes the foundation for you to then live out who you already are in Christ. Now, let's talk about John for a moment. We've been in John for a long time. John chapter 14, 15, we're going to get into 16 in a few weeks, but what has Jesus said over and over and over again in John? John 14, 15, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. You will obey. Now, Jesus tells us that we, we, we obey, we live a life of obedience, we abide in him. But what has Jesus promised us? The helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit lives in us and the Holy Spirit empowers you and the Holy Spirit equips you to live out your Christianity. And so what Paul is saying here is, okay, obey Live a life of worship, and the way that you can do that is because of the mercies that God has given you in the gospel. There's great power in, in little prepositions in the Greek language. When Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, by the mercies, it doesn't just mean in light of the mercies of God. It really means that the mercies of God are what propel you, are what fuel you, what motivate you, what sustain you to be able to live the Christian life of obedience. So it's grace upon grace. It's, it's not you get into the Christian life by grace and then the, the rest of your life you're on your own to kind of do it by yourself. No, Paul is saying you get in by grace, you live by grace, you end by grace, and the mercies and the grace and the power and the Holy Spirit of God fuel you and give you the sustaining grace to be able to live a life of worship to Christ. Now, let's just explore here how Paul defines this. Paul says, I'm appealing to you by the mercies of God, by the grace of God, by the gospel to do something. What's he say there? He says, number one, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice that Paul does not say present your minds, present your hearts, Present your thoughts, present your emotions. What does he say? Present your, your bodies. Very interesting. You obey Jesus in the totality of who you are through your body. In other words, you can think good things about, think good things about God but never really obey. You can say good things about God but never actually obey. How do you fully obey? You obey when you live it out in your body. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, the totality of who you are in your body. John Stott has said this, No worship is pleasing to God, which is purely inward, abstract, and mystical. It must express itself in concrete acts of service performed by our bodies. You know, there's a lot of people that want mystical experiences with God. I just want to have this close connection with God. And, and so they want to be close to God. They want to have a mystical experience with God, but they don't want to obey what the Bible says. They don't want to live it out in their bodies. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people. And they're having an affair they're living in sin, they're living in sexual immorality, and they'll say things that's so weird to me. They'll say things like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm having this, this adulterous affair, and they'll say with a straight face to me, I feel closer to God now than I've ever felt before. 
I'm really connecting with God. As a matter of fact, I know God brought me this person. God has blessed me with this person. So I, and I say to them, the person that you're cheating on, you think God has blessed you with. And with a straight face, they'll say, I know God's in this. What do they want? They want enough of God to feel good about themselves, but they don't want to obey what God has said in their bodies. And so Paul is very clear here. You, you, you can have good thoughts about God. You can have good intentions about God. You, you can have all these things going on in your heart and your mind, but until you actually live it out in your bodies as a living sacrifice, you're not really truly worshiping God. So obedience involves your entire body. That's why Paul, early in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, says this. Do not present your members, the members of your body. Do not present your, your body parts to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members, your body parts, your body to God as instruments for righteousness. Paul also says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you faithful, he will surely do it. So Paul's very clear. He says, listen, if, if you're going to live a life of worship, a life that honors God, it's not just some mystical me in a mountain over here having good thoughts about God. It's the totality of who you are. And really what Paul's saying is your obedience proves itself out in concrete action, in concrete ways, in visible ways that are demonstrable that people can actually see and look at you and say, okay, that person right there is living out what it means to be a Christian. Why does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good work and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. You live out a life of worship before others to see the glory of God. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Through him, that's Jesus, through him, Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do well and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So live a, a life of, uh, of a living sacrifice in your bodies. And, and notice what Paul says there. Look in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your, the totality of yourself, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, some of your translations may say, what is your acceptable worship, your reasonable worship, your, your fitting worship. Why is it fitting? Why is it reasonable? Why does it just make sense to worship God with your body, to be a living sacrifice? Why does it make sense? Here's why it makes sense. In light of God's mercies. 
When you come to the point when you realize what God has done for you in the gospel, he saved you, he's called you, he's adopted you, he's forgiven you, he's given you new life, he's justified you, he, he's sanctified you. All these things that God has done for you and is doing for you and promises to do for you and he gives you the Holy Spirit to live in you, all these mercies, it just makes sense to worship Jesus because you want to do it. You want to do it. Nobody's pulling your, your arm, making you do it. You do this because of what God has first done to you in the gospel. So Paul says, live a life of worship out of the overflow of the mercies of God in your life. So first he focuses on your body. Present your bodies, a living sacrifice. But notice what else he does in verse 2. He focuses on the mind. Now, I don't know all the psychology and the psychosomatic relationship between mind and body, but I do know this. Oftentimes what you dwell on and what you think about and what goes on in your mind and your heart ends up coming out in your actions. And oftentimes the battle starts in your mind. The way that you think, the way that you process, the way that you, that you receive truth, the way that you internally deal with issues, oftentimes it's going to come out in action. And so Paul deals with the mind. And he gives two commands here in verse 2. One is negative, and the second is positive. Let's look at the negative one. Verse 2, do not, this is negative, do not continually be conformed to this world. Don't continually, that's the way that it's worded in the original language, don't continually be conformed to this age, literally. This age. We live in a present evil age. We talked about this, I think, either last week or a few weeks ago, the world. What's the world system? It's the world system dominated by a worldview, a thought process that's totally opposite to God in rebellion to God. Paul says in Galatians uh, chapter 1, 3 through 4, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to deliver us from the present evil age. Same Greek word there, the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Don't be conformed. Don't let this present evil age, some translations say, squeeze you into its mold. Don't be so influenced by this age. What does John say in 1 John? Same concept, this age, this world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't look like, be conformed to, don't let this present evil age, this world, shape your worldview, shape your thinking, shape the way you live. That's negative. That's the negative command Paul says. Don't let this age, this world, shape your thought process, shape your heart, shape your worldview, mold you into what it wants you to become. Instead, he says, here's the positive thing, but, 
Second half of verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Continual verb there. Continually be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, the Holy Spirit transforms your thinking. The Holy Spirit transforms you from the inside out. You don't transform yourself. The Holy Spirit does this for you, but you have a responsibility. You place yourself in a posture or in a position to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, to have your mind renewed. And how do you do that? Well, it's very simple. It's not rocket science. The more you fill your mind with the things of the world, what's going to come out? The things of the world. The more you fill your mind and your heart with the things of Christ, the scriptures, the more you're going to be influenced by that. So are you reading scripture? Are you meditating upon scripture? Are you thinking about the things of the gospel? Are you meditating upon Christ? Are you doing what Paul tells us to do in Philippians 4, 8? What does Paul say? Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do you spend time thinking about the things that are of Christ? Or what do you, this is a really weird thing to ask you. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? What do you spend most of your time looking at? The Kaiser Family Foundation did a recent study on technology, on the impact of children and teenagers. The study was called Generation M2, Media in the Lives of 8 to 18-Year-Olds. Some of you have 8 to 18-Year-Olds, and some of you are 8 to 18-Year-Olds. Here's what they found in this survey. 8 to 18-Year-Olds spend more time with media, little, you walk around and you see kids, this, more time with media, video, whatever, they spend more time with media than any other activity besides maybe sleeping. An average of more than seven and a half hours a day, seven days a week. Now, this is what shocked me. Because of multitasking, what's multitasking? Listening to my iPod, I'm playing a video game, and I'm watching Netflix, and I'm having a conversation over here with somebody else all at the same time. Does that ever happen in your house? The report goes on to say that due to multitasking, the average child consumes 11 hours of media in the 7.5 hours of time. So does that make sense? So it's 7.5 hours, but actually because of all the media coming in, it's actually more like 11 hours of media a day. Do you think that's going to influence the way you think? Is that going to influence your worldview? And parents, we're just as guilty of it as well. And grandparents. It's not just picking on the kids here. And so Paul says we need to have a renewed mind. And what does the renewed mind help us do? It helps us to understand God's will. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, by experience, by, by spending time in the word, by obeying, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable 
and perfect. So the process goes like this. You spend time saturating your heart and your mind in the things of God, in prayer, in scripture. And you limit how the world is going to imp- excuse me, impact your thinking. And the more that you are in a posture to, to take the scriptures into your heart, into your mind, the Holy Spirit begins to transform your mind. You begin to have new ways of thinking. You begin to have a new worldview. You begin to have a newer heart shaped by the things of the Lord. And then you want to obey. You can live a life that's sacrificial. Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk in a worthy manner. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life, your manner of life, your lifestyle, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, in verses 1 and 2, Paul sets the stage for Christian living. We're to have our minds renewed. We're to be transformed. We're to live a life of obedience. It's all based upon the mercies of Christ. Now in verse 3, Paul makes a subtle shift. He's still talking about a lifestyle of worship, but he's going to shift to talking about spiritual gifts. So I want you to see very clearly, contextually, in your Bible, he spent two verses unpacking worship, and then, boom, he goes right into spiritual gifts. So do you see the connection? It's an outflow. You continue to worship God by using your spiritual gifts. And he starts with pride, which I think is very interesting. Notice what he says in verse 3. And and, and count up how many times he uses the word think. What's he just said? Have your mind renewed. Have your mind renewed. And when your nine's renewed, how do you begin to think? You begin to have right thinking. You begin to have biblical thinking. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. Paul says, listen, you can have skewed thinking, especially when it comes to yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Now, let's talk about pride for a moment because a lot of people understand one type of pride, but they don't understand the second type of pride. But I think probably more people are guilty of the second type of pride than the first type of pride. Now, what am I talking about? Pride shows up in two ways that are the result of skewed or sinful thinking. First of all, there is an overestimation of yourself you have an inflated view of yourself i'm god's gift to everybody i've got these gifts i've got all these talents Um, you have an overinflated overestimation of who you are you're always asserting yourself Uh, you can do everything you want to be the life of the party you want to assert yourself you want to draw attention to yourself you've got all the spiritual gifts and so just let me loosen the church because i can do everything that's an overestimation of your spiritual gifts it's an inflated view. And we look at that person and say, yeah, that person's prideful. That person thinks they're all that. That person's, that person's, they think more highly than they ought to of themselves. We can see that type of pride. But let me tell you about a second type of pride that maybe you are not aware of. 
It's an underestimation of yourself. You don't see that God has gifted you. You don't believe that God could use you. You don't understand God's grace in giving you a spiritual gift, and so you either downplay your gift, you don't use your gift, and you sit on the sidelines and you expect somebody else to do all the work. And so, in a way, you're being just as prideful because you're not doing what God's called you to do. You have an underestimation of your giftedness. And here's the issue both are sinful. It's easy to see the prideful person that has an overestimation of himself. Yeah, that's sinful. But when you don't use your gifts, when you don't think of yourself the way that God thinks of you, when you don't realize he's gifted you with the spiritual gift, when you don't serve, when you're not walking in his grace and and doing what God's called you to do, that can be just as much of an issue of pride in underestimating yourself. So what does Paul say? Think of yourself with sober judgment. Think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, have a healthy dose of reality. Some of you may be on the equilibrium here. Some of you may be inflated with pride, overestimation, looking at yourself like, I'm all that. Paul says, get a grip of reality and soberly look at yourself and realize you're not all that. Or for some of you, or maybe most of you, Paul may be saying, listen, get a sober grip on reality and look at yourself. Are you using your spiritual gifts? Are you downplaying your gifts? Are you sitting on the sidelines and inspecting everybody else to do stuff? That's just as prideful. And Paul says, have some sober judgment. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Do you want to know what true Christian maturity is? True Christian maturity is this. When you humbly serve others in your giftedness for the encouragement of the church and to the glory of God. Christian immaturity is when you sit on the sidelines and you expect everybody else just to do stuff and you're a consumer and you're not really getting involved. I want you to notice what Paul says here. Read your Bibles, okay? Let's let's look at our Bibles. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to only the pastors, is that what your Bible says? For by the grace given to me, I say to the elders, No, it doesn't say that. For by the grace given to me, I say to growth group leaders. For by the grace given to me, I say to the deacons. No, I'm I'm just joking here. What does it say? For by the grace given to me, I say to, you say it with me, everyone among you. Who's Paul talking to? Everybody. He's not singling out leaders here. He's not singling out elders. He's not elevating church leaders. He's saying, listen, I'm talking to the entire church here. Every single one of you, the entire church. And Paul says, listen, every single one of you has a gift, has a spiritual gift that God has gifted you with. Every single one of you needs to evaluate yourself and have sober judgment and figure out how you're going to integrate into the life of the church. Every single one of you. So let's just recap here. Paul says, listen, it starts out with God's mercy. 
God's grace, God's power that he's given to us in the gospel gives us the motivation to live a life of, of worship. And how do we live a life of worship? Well, we, we have our minds renewed. We don't allow the world to squeeze us into its mold, but we continually have our, our minds renewed and we start to have new thinking. And as we start to have new thinking, it affects how we view ourselves. Are we prideful? Are we overestimating ourselves? Are we underestimating ourselves? Here's the bottom line. Do you see using your gifts, volunteering, however you want to, whatever word you was more comfortable with, ministry, using your gifts, serving in the church, volunteering, it's all the same thing. The question is, do you see that the way the Bible sees it as an act of worship? As an act of worship. In other words, has your mind been renewed to this truth? Maybe you've never thought of it that way before. And Paul says, listen, you need to get your mind thinking in the right way. So I'm kind of leaving you hanging this morning. I haven't asked some important questions like, okay, what are the spiritual gifts? Why do you need a spiritual gift? How do I find my spiritual gifts? You got to come back for that. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to lay a case here. I'm saying from the very beginning, Paul's foundation is saying, you've got to have a mind shift. You've got to have a change of mind. You've got to have renewed thinking about this because worship and giftedness are linked hand in glove. It's not a peripheral issue, Paul's saying. It's crucial to spiritual maturity. It's it's crucial to the health of this church, to your effectiveness. It's a pride thing. I don't know if you ever thought about that. When you don't use your spiritual gifts, it's actually an act of pride. It's actually sinful. It actually reflects not having your mind renewed. It actually reflects that you're not fully worshiping God with the lifestyle of worship. It's wrong thinking. Back in 2011, there was a mega earthquake that triggered a nuclear power plant in Japan to basically overflow and and three power plants set off nuclear reactors and it melted down and and 16,000 people killed during this nuclear power plant explosion. They had to force the evacuation of over 100,000 people within a 12-mile radius. It's called the, I'm not good at Japanese, so don't quote me on this, the Fukushima nuclear power plant. Now, after the power plant and after the nuclear meltdown and the experts came in and they started investigating why it happened, they did a full-blown investigation, and here's what they found out. It was not built up to code But even more importantly, here's what happened. Experts came to the leaders and said, you've got a problem here. The locals that were living there kept putting pressure on the power plant. We've got a problem here. And you know what the leaders said? It's never going to happen here. It's never going to happen here. We're never going to have a nuclear meltdown. We're fine. Now, where is Japan, by the way? It's in the ring of fire the Pacific Ocean, near the world's most active volcanoes and tsunamis and earthquakes. So why was there this nuclear reactor meltdown? The leadership said, it's not going to happen to us. It was wrong thinking. It was prideful thinking. They didn't listen to the warning signs. They didn't listen to the experts because they thought to themselves, we're above this, it's never going to happen. And then thousands of people died. 
And oftentimes during catastrophes and oftentimes during issues, we don't often listen to the warning signs. Now, I'm not in any way saying that what's happening here at Emmanuel with people not serving is close to a nuclear meltdown, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. Your elders are listening to the warning signs. We're evaluating the life of our church. And we've got to pay attention to the fact that there are some rumblings underneath the surface that may show that things are not as healthy as they could be, especially in the area of serving, of volunteering, of giving our time, especially in areas like children's ministry and youth ministry. I'm not saying we're at a crisis point yet, but as leaders, we're looking at the warning signs, and we need to be aware of that. You see, when you fail to use your gifts, the entire church suffers. You may, you may not think it's a big deal, but the entire church suffers. And you're not being as effective as you could be for Christ. And so today, the Scripture's given us warning signs. It's told us to have our minds renewed. It's told us about using our spiritual gifts. It's told us about being prideful. And so the question you've got to ask is, has your thinking been changed? Has your mind been renewed to the reality that using your gifts is an act of worship to the Lord? Not just this daily lifestyle of living for Jesus as a private thing. No, he links it to gifts given by God's grace. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would all have godly, biblical, humble thinking about ourselves and that all of us, not just the pastors or the few leaders, but all of us, every single one of us would serve, use our gifts with humility in the life of the church for the glory of God as we display what Paul calls us to do here, a lifestyle of worship. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I'm going to ask you to do something that maybe I don't normally ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to think. Think about yourself. Think about this church. Think about your giftedness. Think about the scripture. And spend time, Paul says, thinking about yourself, having sober judgment having your mind renewed, and as you think, also combine that thinking with praying and ask the Lord to show you how you need to change or repent or grow in light of this passage of Scripture. Give us the grace to be able to use our gifts as an act of worship to you. And it's all because of your mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.